Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today. As usual, as usual, we have a great show for you guys. Um, Phil, who's on the show? Yeah, today, you know, the second episode of season four, we got uh, a great friend of mine, a man who you will see, or you will hear, I guess, um, has so much passion for what he does. It's a guy who is wise, a man who um, cares deeply about what he does and the people he serves. Um, He's a great leader. He is the executive director and president of Lifeline Children's Services. He works with Rick Morton, who we had on this show uh, earlier. Uh, Herbie Newell is his name. And I have no doubt that you're gonna not only learn from him, but you're gonna be inspired by him um, to hear about what Lifeline's doing, um, to hear about what he has learned as a leader, Um, and you know, hopefully you'll just hear in him, uh, how God can call a man, um, to something that he wasn't necessarily expecting to be called to, but how he can take him and he can equip him to do, uh, what he's supposed to be doing. So, uh, with that, we'll, we're going to send you this interview. And again, as always, uh, you know, I hope that you engage this not only as you're listening, but hopefully you'll, you'll send us some comments. Um, and then when you're done doing that, we ask you to rate and review the show on, on iTunes. Cause that really does help it get out to people. And then when you're done doing that, I'm going to ask one more thing this time. And that is to share this podcast, you know, take, take just a little bit of time to share it personally with about 10 people that you care about that you think will really be able to learn from this. If you're listening to it and learning from it, I know that if there's other people that you know that can as well. So with that, we're going to go to Herbie Newell. Well, Herbie, it is so great to finally get you here on the show. Man, Phil, it's great to get to join you and uh, just love how you are collaborating in this world, in this space, and using this podcast for the glory of God to think differently about how we can care for orphans and widows. Yeah, you know, Herbie, you and I actually have a, a similar um, background coming coming to this space really, really unexpectedly. It wasn't something we were planning our whole lives. It wasn't something that we said, you know, let's let's go to school to see how we can run a nonprofit that that seeks to love orphaned and vulnerable kids around the world well. Um, but, uh, you know, God brought us to this and I, would love for you to be able to share your story to hopefully encourage some people out there who are wondering, you know, how, how might I be able to get involved and, and what does God have for me, um, for kingdom building stuff? Yeah, certainly. So, uh, my professional background is in accounting, went to school for accounting, got a master's in business administration and accounting to be able to, to practice as a CPA was in Uh, a pretty successful regional firm doing audit work for a lot of major clients in the Southeast and was really enjoying my work. And, but I really always had this call to do something meaningful for the gospel with my career and with my education and just felt like God had gifted me administratively, had gifted me with a vision uh, to do something large for his kingdom. And so uh, working as a CPA and bivocationally working as a youth pastor at a local church, the Lord just really started to stir in, in my heart, my wife's heart for the orphan and the vulnerable child. At the time, she was actually a crisis pregnancy center director, and we were praying through clients that she would see and 
the Lord really started to open up our heart towards caring for these children. And, and I think the refrain that started at that point uh, that the Lord really brought to us, uh, both when she was working there and as he was drawing me to Lifeline, was as believers, we need to be pro-life, not just pro-birth. And we don't just need to see these children come into this world and come into existence, but we need to wrap our lives around their mothers. We need to wrap our lives around their families. We need to wrap our lives around these children and and show the gospel to them in how we care and in what we say and in what we do. And the Lord really started to burden our hearts for vulnerable children. He, he started to burden our hearts for these women who themselves were vulnerable, who, you know, we were victimized, who were victimized, but we were demonizing because they were even considering abortion. Uh, but but what would it look like in our, our minds? We said and asked ourselves, what would it look like if the church would wrap around these women and love on them and care for them and support them? And that just took us through a journey of really praying through career wise, what was I, I called to do? And in 2003, Lifeline called me to be their executive director. And through a, a lot, lot of, of different twists and turns uh, of the Lord just confirming that, he confirmed it over and over and over again. And probably like so many in this space uh, was encouraged and absolutely uh, just given a, a sense of where this was going from Stephen Curtis Chapman and kind of as a, as a mainstream Christian who had uh, taken this leap of faith into this world, one of the first, uh, just encouraged by their journey of adoption uh, for their little girl, Shoei, and, and to see their story. And God just used that and so many different things in our lives to take us out of the professional world and put us in this nonprofit ministry. And it's it's certainly a journey each and every day. Yeah, I know, like so many other stories, there's there's so much more to that. Uh, you know, unfortunately, we don't have the time to get into all of it today, but I, I encourage you all out there, if you're ever able to get to get to know Herbie, to just, you know, hear a little bit more of that story, because it really is encouraging to see how God does place different things in our lives to really uh, take us one step closer to what he has for us. And, and uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, just the idea of really coming around, um, you know, these these women who are who are, as you said, pro, we really want to need to be pro-life. And so these women who have, you know, pregnancies that they may not expect and may be not able to really care for a child, but, but uh, how can we wrap around them? And I, I know that the work that Lifeline is doing, I'd, I'd really just love to hear from you share about what you guys are doing with uh, domestic adoption, but not just with the adoptions themselves, but everything related to the adoption. Can you just share with us the work that Lifeline is doing domestically um, in terms of adoption? And then we'll get to some of the other stuff uh, Lifeline's doing a little bit later. Yeah. So, you know, Lifeline actually was founded in 1980 out of a response of a crisis pregnancy center movement. There was a crisis pregnancy center that was started in Birmingham, Alabama called Save a Life. And it ended up growing to about 63 centers and Lifeline was founded as a response to Save a Life by the same founders of Save a Life to say, in a sense, uh, if Save a Life is the evangelical arm of a mission uh, to give a pregnancy test to a young lady, to talk to her about life affirming options and to share the gospel and life affirming options for her own life spiritually, we need a mechanism for these ladies to be discipled in that and to walk alongside of them. Uh, as they choose one of these life options for their child. And 
that's where the lifeline came, was to be a discipleship ministry that was focused not only on the child, but also on the birth mother. And so from the very beginning in 1980, a lot of the women that we worked with, they've all chosen life, uh, but not all of them have chosen adoption. And our heart was, how do we help these women see their options, both as being the very best parent that they can be, if that in God's providence is what he's called them to do, or how to find the very best family that loves Christ with all their heart, all their mind, and all their soul to place their child for adoption. And then in the end, how can we minister to her well past that day that she places for adoption? Her life continues just as that child life, life continues. And, and we've always looked for ways to care for birth mothers and, and love on them. And we often tell families as they come and they're called to adoption, and they say, you know, we want to adopt and we don't know if we want to adopt domestically or internationally. We tell them, really, let's let's simplify it for you. It's it's not as much of do I want to adopt a child from the United States or do I want to adopt a child from another country? The, the true uh, the true understanding of that is do I want to adopt a birth mother from the United States, someone that I'm going to pray for, someone that I'm going to uh, meet one day, someone that I'm going to have some type of relationship with, be it pictures and letters or actual face-to-face meetings, you know, am I going to invest in the life of a mother by taking care of her child, or do I want to invest in a country by by helping and resourcing a child from that country? Because we believe if they adopt internationally, they need to be just as engaged in that, in that country, because that's that heritage of that child. As a, as a parent that adopts domestically needs to be engaged in that birth parent. That's the heritage of that child. That's where that child is coming from. You know, adoption is always a little bit messy because it doesn't start in the same place. But it's also it's out of that messiness that we see beauty. And and we see that, you know, one day a family can actually tell their child, hey, we loved on your birth mother. We cared for her. We've had so many stories with domestic families who will come back and say, we had the opportunity to share the gospel with our birth mother. We had the opportunity to show her the picture of grace. And we have women that even through our counsel have been resistant toward the gospel. But when they've met that adopted family, the Lord would open up their hearts to the gospel. And as that family would just share of God's grace and his goodness, we would see women just come to saving faith in him. And so our, our hope is not just to reach these women with, with life-affirming options, but ultimately to affirm life in them, to let them know that they are created in the image of God, founded in his image, and to show them the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, Phil, you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is two sides. One, it's proclamation, it's salvation, but it's also how do we act out on that, not just in good theology, but in, in great justice and love and care. And so the gospel demands that we wrap around these women and we show them uh, that, that we have been rescued by such a great God and that we have, because we've been rescued, we have so much love for them. And so we have provided maternity housing for these women. We've provided uh, education after placement or after they have chosen to parent. Uh, we walk with these ladies throughout, uh, getting them connected back to local churches, getting them connected to local resources, being that local resource where it's necessary to make sure that they have the pieces that they need to be successful in what God leads them to choose. If it's adoption, we want them to, to make an adoption decision that they won't regret later. If it's to be a single parent, we want to make sure that's not a child that one day the state's going to have to take out of that family, that they are resourced and cared for and surrounded well. One of the things that we say commonly about these women there's a lot of these women come to us and they are impoverished. They, they, uh, especially today, we see a lot of women who are, are living in poverty and, and the truest state of their poverty isn't their lack of material things. The truest state of their poverty is the lack of positive 
um, relationships. And so we want to build uh, a tool chest and build a Rolodex of relationships for these women that will serve them for a lifetime. And then just kind of kind of closing out some of our domestic ministries. One of the beautiful things that we do every year, and I would just encourage others around the world, maybe others that are listening to this podcast, to consider doing something like this as well. But the Saturday before Mother's Day, we actually host a celebration called Birth Mother's Day. And it is to celebrate all of these women who have placed their babies for adoption, to remind them that they are still a mother, to remind them that motherhood is theirs, and to celebrate that motherhood. And, and also just to celebrate that being a mom is not always an easy job. And sometimes you have to make really, really tough choices for your child. And, and these women made very tough choices uh, for their children. They loved their children very much, but they believed that, that their child would be better served in a, in a two-parent home with a mom and a dad. And so we celebrate that and celebrate them. And, and, and we just have a time of praise and worship and a speaker uh, that's bringing the gospel to these women and celebrating these women. And it's been neat to see hundreds and hundreds of women come on the Saturday before Mother's Day to celebrate mother, Birth Mother's Day. And so let's, let's not forget women who've placed for adoption. They are mothers, that, that they carry the memory of this child in their hearts, and that they are true heroes by choosing life for their child when uh, in this culture of death it would have been easy to select abortion. Yeah, and that is uh, so important. It's one of the things I absolutely love about the work you're doing, um, just the focus on the birth mothers. And, you know, also, you know, th- there's so much more we could talk about with uh, the other side, uh, you know, the adoption with the uh, adoptive parents and the, and the children themselves, really, as we call it, the triad of adoption. Um, and I know people can learn more about that on your website. Um, but I want to shift a little bit over to the, uh, the international side. And, you know, a lot of people have known um, or know, I, a lot of people don't, but I know a lot of people that are listening to the show know that adoption has slowed down over the past several years in a lot of countries. Some countries have shut down. Other countries have gone to a snail's pace. Um, and I uh, just want you to be able to share with our audience a little bit. What, what are some of the reasons for that? What are some of the potential issues and, and problems with the international adoption? What are some of the reasons that these these countries are um, shutting down. I know it's different everywhere, but uh, but what are some of the reasons? And then how are you um, as Lifeline and how can we kind of enter into that fray and, and hopefully start addressing these issues so that we can um, get some of these children into homes when that is the best thing for them? Yeah. Well, I, I guess I just want to start off very humbly uh, confessing to both you and your audience. And when I say some of these things, I want to I want to just very humbly say that as I, as I point out some of the issues that I believe have led to slowdown, that, that as a ministry, as an organization, we our hands aren't free of any of this guilt. Mm. Um, I think a lot of us have gone out there um, in, a, in good spirit and in good names and, and with good intentions, trying to help in great ways. Uh, but a lot of times we've been misguided. And we, we first, I think, as believers need to look internally before we look externally at how did we contribute to this slowdown? Um, and, and I think the first thing that, that I just think has really hurt international adoption uh, is this nationalistic pride that we have in the United States. You know, we, we have really come to believe that we are the savior of the nations. Um, and even that's, that's as believers. You know, we, we have come to believe that the United States is a better place than the country of origin for these kids. And and I think that we just need to call that for what it is. It's a sin. It's uh, a nationalistic sin. And, and uh, again, I, I humbly come and say there have been days that uh, I'm afraid that as lifeline, we've, we've, we've caught into that uh, fray. 
that that if we could just get this child in states, they'd be better off. Well, that that just totally discredits the sovereignty of God. And I think in doing that, we've made some uh, and, and, and Lifeline, as well as just the greater community, we've, we've rushed into adoptions that de- need to happen. Uh, we've placed children with families that were unprepared. We've placed children into families where uh, they, were, they were looking more for a child to fill their home as opposed to knowing that this child was coming from a hard place. And I definitely think the disruption rate that we've seen in international adoption, where so many families have brought kids home and then uh, basically uh, what, what we call is uh, disturbed the adoption or disrupted the adoption or dissolved the adoption, that has just hurt our relationships around the world with uh, foreign governments when they see that these children and now they have no idea where these children have gone. These children have been adopted domestically into another family. I've heard stories of children that were adopted internationally now that are in their third or fourth family. And if you look at that, we, we look at our foster care system and we go, how broken that these kids are jumping from one family to another. But yet that's what some of these international children have done that we've brought over in international adoption. So I think just a lack of preparedness, thinking that the United United States would solve all the problems. The, the truth of the matter is uh, Jesus Christ will solve all the problems, and he can solve those problems in Ethiopia. He can solve those problems in Cambodia. He can solve those problems in Myanmar. He can, he can solve those problems in the United States. And so I think uh, our nationalism certainly has, has contributed to that, that slowdown. <clears throat> I think then just our selfishness, honestly, and, and our narcissism, and I know those may sound closely aligned, but I think we've seen a lot of families, and, and to one extent, I can completely understand. They, they get so tunnel visioned on their adoption process. They want it to go quickly. They want it to go smoothly. They want uh, it to go exactly the way that, that, that they have said. They want it to cost as little money as possible. And so they will do whatever it takes to get their child home quickly and safely and smoothly. And unfortunately, that's driven a lot of families into paying bribes, um, and that's that's driven a lot of folks to pay fees to expedite processes. Uh, that has uh, caused organizations to take shortcuts. Um, and prayerfully, as, as we've looked at our own organization, uh, we don't believe that we've had an, a, a situation that we've we've gone into this. But we certainly have seen other organizations that have taken shortcuts, have have done things maybe that wasn't the right way, and we treat a single adoption as if it's the only adoption. And in the end, that has certainly hurt uh, the the reputation that we have among other nations, where no longer are we going into nations and, and we being the servants to say, how can we help you? But we're being going in with a very narcissistic view that I'm the only one that matters and my needs matter and, and what I have matters. And then certainly lastly, I, I think that uh, uh, we're, we're seeing nations that, that are able now to to, to do domestic adoption. And a lot of the kids that initially families wanted to adopt, younger, healthy infant children, are being adopted domestically in their own countries. And I think that's something we should celebrate. I think that's something we should say, hey, well, praise be to God. And, and, and I, you know, a lot of times God gives us different mechanisms to solve some of the same problems. And it's not always the same tool that he uses. And if you look throughout his word, uh, you know, he, he has the people march around Jericho for seven days and then blow loud trumpets and, you know, the walls come crumbling down. But, but as you look through the conquest of the promised land, you don't see God calling Joshua to do that again in any other city. As a matter of fact, there's other ways that each city is conquered. There's, there's ways that the people move in the promised land. They're different. God's tools are always different. And, and I'm not saying that international adoption needs to go away or 
will go away or ever will go away. But at the same time, as, as Christians, let's pivot and let's rejoice that more indigenous adoptions are happening. And let's let's say, how can we maybe even help believers in India? How can we maybe help believers in Ethiopia? How can we maybe help believers in China to actually step up and adopt children in their own countries? How can we look for ways to care for these children so that they can be the great leaders of their country, so that one day they can be raised up in a system within the the, the confines of their own country to be great leaders for Christ and to be great voices for Christ? And so uh, I think, too, and this is the last thing, as believers, I think sometimes we got short-sighted on why we were doing international adoption. I, I, I hope and I pray that when we think even now today of international adoption, that we are thinking, let's adopt a child that, that needs a home that has no other option in their country of origin except through international adoption, to have a family, to have a hope, to be able to be trained, to be educated. And But let's have this mindset as believers that we're going to adopt to have open hands that one day that child may go back to that country of origin to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I think so many times, even as believers, we've gone into international adoption more to build our family or to save a child as opposed to thinking through how can we disciple these children? How can we care for these children? And so I know I'm getting wordy, but the last thing I'll say is, you know, in God called us in his great commission to be disciple makers. And so being a disciple maker, and if you've ever discipled another believer, you know, every believer is different. Every person that you disciple, every life that you impact is different and you help them and you speak in them in different ways. And so uh, I just pray that, that, that actually the slowdown in international adoption wouldn't be the end or the, the, the weakening of the Christian uh, orphan and adoption movement, but then it would be something that would enrich and deepen the roots of this movement so that it would be more centralic on the gospel of Jesus Christ and discipling orphans wherever they may be, whether it's in their country of origin or if it's in adopted homes here in the United States. Yeah, and I love that. And it's a great segue into the the next, one of the other things that uh, Lifeline is doing, and that's the, the unadopted uh, initiative that uh, Lifeline is doing all around the world. And can you, can you share a little bit what, what that is and why uh, Lifeline started it a few years ago? Yeah, so we, so just exactly what I'm saying. We started to see certainly a slowing down of international adoption, but, but more importantly, just being left in orphanages and looking in the faces of children who were teenagers and quite honestly had no family that was caring for them or would care for them in their country of origin. And then also knowing that adoption was not an option for them. Uh, Seeing countries like Guatemala close down and to see the mass exodus of, of Christians that were intervening with orphans and vulnerable children in Guatemala. And then all of a sudden it's closed to international adoption and a lot of Christians in the wake of that absolutely just moved to different countries that honestly they moved to Africa. Uh, they, they got out of Guatemala and I'm starting to see some of the same things as Ethiopia closes down. As a lot of these African countries close down, you're hearing less and less about intervention in Africa. And so our heart was, well, we don't need to just be in these countries because of inter-country adoption. We don't, we don't need to just be investing in these countries because of, of how we can quote unquote, rescue kids to the United States. But we need to be looking at these kids that are unadoptable. Maybe they're unadoptable because their country's not allowing intercountry adoption. Maybe they're unadoptable because the people are so poor that domestic adoption is just not an option. Maybe we need to look at children who, they're in a country where domestic adoption is just not something that's gonna be a reality 
because of our religion or our worldview. But these kids need to be discipled. They need to be cared for. They need an opportunity. Uh, and and I, I hate to say it, but in good in a good name, Christians have gone over to these countries and set up orphanages, uh, taking kids off the street or out of struggling or institutions to put them in an, in an orphanage without an exit plan, without an exit strategy. Uh, we haven't thought about, well, what happens when they turn 18? What happens when they turn 19? What happens when they no longer can live at this orphanage? We, we have a mentality that we have compassion and concern for the two-year-old with a distended belly in Africa who's orphaned and has no family, and we want to do everything for them, but we don't have the foresight to say, well, what's going to happen if we preserve that two-year-old's life, and they're 22, and they have no job, and they're poor, and they're living on the streets? No one's going to want to help a 22-year-old. That's just called, they're homeless, and they need to get a job. But if we're not doing something when that child's two to start intervening and teaching and training and equipping them for when they're 22, then then we've just uh, continued and, 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 and propagated the problem. And so we just really looked and said, we've got to do something about this. And it's not enough just to, it's not enough just to feed them. It's not enough just to clothe them. It's not enough just to put a roof over their head. We've got to teach them how to survive. And, and the truth of the matter, Phil, this is what you and I and, and other Christian families and other parents are doing for their children right now in their home. We're teaching them life lessons. It's, it's, it's the greatest thing of a child being in a home is they're learning from mom and dad what it takes to be an adult, what it takes to be self-sufficient, what it takes to be to, to have a job and, and to work hard and, and the, the value of work. And these kids in orphanages, uh, they're not learning that. And so Lifeline developed an unadopted program. And it's really a program to reach those children that are unadoptable, that will be unadopted, will not have adoption as a part of their story into a family. And to care for these children by teaching them life skills, by teaching them job skills, by helping supplement their education to make sure sure they're getting the best education possible and helping them look at their skills and have a vision for what would they want to do. Uh, we've worked in Haiti for years. And one of the things that I remember in Haiti is we were working with a young man and we asked him what his dreams and aspirations were for when he was able to, to start working and, and providing for himself. And, you know, no one had ever taught this little boy to dream. He said, well, I guess I'll just sell cell phone cards. And like in most third world countries, you know, they have the prepaid cell phones with a little card. You scratch off the number and you add money to your cell phone plan. And his idea was just to go sell cell phone cards. Well, in Haiti in this day, especially everyone and their brother was selling cell phone cards. There was not a need for that market. And so we started working with this young man and helping him dream about, well, what are some other needs in your country that aren't being felt, that aren't being needed, that aren't being met? And so that's one of the things we want to do, not just with this young man and others like him in Haiti, but throughout the world where we're working as unadopted, is help these children dream for their future, help them be able to look at something that's marketable, but more importantly, to also disciple them in the way of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to help them see that ultimately we need, we want them to be self-sufficient when it comes to being able to live independently, but they're never going to be independent and they never need to live independent of the gospel and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so we take the gospel of Jesus Christ and we want to teach these kids to depend on the Lord, but also to how to be sufficient, uh, self-sufficient and able to live independently, to be able to uh, make a difference in their country of origin. And, and we've just been able to see the Lord do great things uh, throughout Africa and Eastern Europe and Asia and Central America uh, with, with seeing kids that have risen out of the poverty of being an orphan and being the, the next great leaders of their country. 
Yeah, and, and I encourage you all out there to take a look a little bit more on, online at uh, lifelinechild.org um, to really see what the Sun Adopted Movement is and the scope and everything. It, it really does bring a lot of what we're talking about on this podcast to life. It's really the interconnectedness of these issues, these the need for poverty alleviation, the need for mentoring, the need to really come alongside people, these these kids that uh, you know are aren't going to, uh, for one reason or another, um, be adopted? And how can we get them the love they need? How can we get them the training they need? How can we get them the, really the, the teaching and training discipleship on family so that they can go out and really start families of their own someday that are healthy? So what does that look like? And, and, I, and I think that uh, Lifeline is doing such a great job of bridging the theory and practice on this and, and appreciate the work you're doing there. Also appreciate, really, and, and we don't have time to get into it today, but the, I would encourage you out there that Lifeline's also doing uh, really some great wraparound care. We've heard about wraparound care from Sharon Ford on the show and some other folks who are doing amazing work in that in that area. And the Crossings uh, initiative that Lifeline is doing there is, um, is really, and it's a lot of what we talked about earlier with the birth mothers and, and adopted families. How can we wrap around them? How can we love them well? And what does that look like for churches? What does it look like for individuals? How can we live out uh, the James one twenty seven call in those ways? Um, it's, it's a way that everyone can get involved. And I encourage you all out there to take a look through that too. Um, but I, I want to finish up with a, a, a couple questions that we ask all of our guests, but one other question for you, Herbie, as a leader that I respect, I'm encouraged by. Um, I know that uh, you've inspired me in different ways over the years uh, through our friendship, but I want you to be able to take some of uh, you know what I learned from you and share it with our audience here, just one or two things that you've learned um, that will hopefully help other leaders and orphan care advocates all around the world. As you know, I just heard the other day that we have 88 countries that are, that are downloading this, this podcast. And so I know there's people all over the world that can learn from you. So can you just share one or two things on how we, uh, as leaders, we, as advocates, we, as, as just fellow believers can, can, uh, really seek to love these orphaned and, uh, at risk children with excellence. Yeah. So a, a couple of things, you know, I think there's the old adage that a cupful of passion will get you as far as you need to go. And I think in this world, especially when working with orphan and vulnerable children, uh, I would say that that's only half true. Uh, I definitely think we need to consult with the experts, those who have been trained. Uh, and and in a sense, one of the things, and you know, I know we're, we didn't talk a lot about crossings, but I think uh, through crossings and other types of of programs like that through Lifeline that we've seen have made a big difference is when we take uh, psychologists, when we take uh, child life advocates, when we take social workers and counselors, and we help them really hone in on the needs of these children around the world and be able to help us address those in a in a need that not only attaches to their, their heart and their mind, but also their soul and their spirit, um, and just to completely care for these children. And so I, I guess just knowing that, you know, one attacking one system of theirs, you know, oh, we're just going to feed them and that's all we're going to do. Or we're just going to we're just going to preach the gospel and, and that's all we're going to do. But if we look at what Jesus did and, and we use what he did in the gospels, whenever he met someone that was poor or lonely, he fed them, uh, he cared for them, he loved on them. Uh, he, 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 he felt their emotional need. So it's their physical need, their emotional need and their spiritual need. And, and many times he had met their, their emotional need and their physical need. 
need well before he uh, he even met their spiritual need. And so uh, a cup full of passion will get us some of the distance, but we need knowledge and we need to be able to know that we are ministering holistically to these children. Um, and, and then, you know, I guess just a, a Another thing that I've seen over and over and over again, and it goes back in some of the other things I've said, is as we go to help these kids, we need to be listeners before we are talkers, um, before we start to speak into something. We need to listen, and we need to listen from the people on the ground. We need to we need to hear their vision. We need to hear uh, what God's leading them to do. We need to not come in as the rescuers or the saviors or the one that has the greatest program, but we need to be the ones that are going to listen. And it may be that in listening, we realize that that what God has gifted us with isn't what this community or, or this orphanage or, or, or this group of people need. It, it, it may not be their greatest need at this time. They know their need, but so many times we want to tell them what their need is before we're willing to listen to what their need is. And I think that goes domestically as well. You know, there's a huge uh, movement afoot in the United States that's beautiful to care for kids in foster care and we want to go to the state and help the state and we go guns a blazing into the state it's really easy for us as outsiders to look at the state and and the foster care system and come up with a rap sheet of all the things that they're doing wrong it's a whole lot harder to go inside the offices and talk to the directors and talk to the workers and say hey what are your biggest needs uh, and so I think just a humility in this movement, and that's something I've learned the hard way of just having a humility to say, what are your needs? What's God calling you to do? Uh, what, what, if you had someone that could help you, what are the greatest needs that, that could be met? Because typically, if we don't meet someone's felt needs first, we're not really ever going to be able to meet the, the overarching needs. And so mm-hmm. I think those are just you know, for the sake of time, two of the, the biggest things. One, we, we don't just need to have passion. We need to have education and we need to, we need to, we need to know what we're doing. We need to consult experts. And then, and then number two, we need to be listeners before we are speakers and problem solvers. Yeah. And so much of that is learning, right? And I mean, leaders are learners and, and, uh, that's something that I've, I too, like you have learned the hard way a lot of times, you know, that I need to just shut up and listen a lot more. And I know this podcast has been great for me to, to teach me to do that better and better. Um, and I, I could not agree more with those two things. And as, as you said, there's a whole lot more to it, but, um, I think those are two great places to start because, and a lot of people ask me, you know, how, how do you know God's call? How did you know when you were supposed to do? And it's in, in your life. And I think so much of that's just listening and it's just learning and, and getting to be able to know God's voice. And I think in that same way, as we truly get to know people, we will know how we can help them after listening and learning about them, as opposed to just going in saying, I know how to help everybody. I'm just going to do the same thing. No, it's going to be different in every relationship and every place in this world. So thanks for that. Um, our last two questions, uh, that I, I love to hear the answers to these, which is why we keep asking them. But uh, what have you read, watched, or listened to that has uh, most shaped your thinking about how we can love orphaned and vulnerable children with excellence? Yeah, so I probably will not be uh, unique on the answer, I guess, to the first question. But uh, certainly When Helping Hurts was probably one of the books that shaped the most in thinking uh, for our ministry in every piece of what we do, how we care for birth mothers how we care for vulnerable children, how we care for impoverished countries around the world, uh, how we approach different things that we do. Uh, you know, I think When Helping Hurts just really changed our paradigm. And we we first read this book as a ministry, and we made our entire staff read it in 08. And when it first came out, uh, and then we had 
sense. Every new staff member has to read when helping hurts. And it's not that it necessarily has all the answers, but it just has shaped our thinking on how we care for the vulnerable and, and how do we empower them and give them dignity uh, and, and worth as opposed to uh, making them our project. And so that, that certainly has been a, a huge thing. Uh, probably the, the thing I've heard or listened to that was just really impactful um, was uh, w- was just the Summit 3 for Christian Alliance for Orphans uh, was at Focus on the Family. And Rick Warren came and spoke. And uh, I, I actually went and bought the DVD of it. And I've shown it to other people. And other people have liked it. But I think just in the moment of being there live, the spirit was so real in that room as he spoke. And one of the things he just really encouraged us was that the church in America cannot be the savior of the world. And I I remember him saying that um, and writing that down and ruminating over that. And it's just stuck with me uh, that the church in America cannot be the savior of the world. And we have brothers and sisters all around the world. and, And that really just shaped the way that Lifeline did our ministry and we thought of our ministry as how do we equip believers around the world to live out James 127? Because James 127 isn't a calling, it's a command uh, of God. He doesn't, he doesn't just say, hey, if you feel called to do this, do this. He says, pure and undefiled religion is this in the sight of God our Father to care for orphans and what is in their stress and keep oneself unstained from the world. And so we need to unlock that for our brothers and sisters around the world. And so those are just two things uh, that, that, that I've heard and um, certainly just uh, uh, have been shaped, um, honestly, a lot by – uh, just pastors and teachers. Uh, certainly my pastor and friend, David Platt, has shaped a lot of, of how I've looked at different things, even though he's been more of a missionologist and less of an orphanologist. Uh, certainly he has helped and prayed with me and, and, and we've thought through things. And then just from a distance, uh, guys like John Piper and Matt Chandler and just some of the wisdom uh, that they have had, uh, even on different issues that didn't have anything to do with necessarily orphan care, but just thinking through a gospel ethic and how to be uh, how to be a believer that that in everything we do takes the gospel to the nations for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned some some people there, but uh, is there one person that has most shaped your thinking on how we can love orphan and at risk children with excellence, or or maybe one representative person uh, that you can just uh, hopefully encourage us with? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I certainly, I, I don't know if there's necessarily someone in the movement per se that, that again, like I said, goes to, but, uh, Dr. Ligenfelter, certainly out in California, uh, he's written several cross-cultural books, uh, about how to think cross-culturally has a, a ton of great, uh, material leading cross-culturally transforming culture. I've been able to, to hear him speak and read his books and, uh, I've, I think I've read all, all five of his co- cross-cultural books to, to think cross-culturally. Um, and, and that's not just cross-culturally when we think outside of the United States, but that's also just thinking inside of the United States. How do we, how do we look at different cultures and, and how do we reach them? Because uh, I, I guess I'll just end with this, Phil. I mean, yeah, man, Lifeline is called to care for orphans and, and widows and um, vulnerable children at the, at the heartbeat of who we are. Uh, we're about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we believe that orphans and widows are just our platform to make the gospel known. And we want to use that platform and be excellent, as Colossians 3.23 says, and all things that you do, do it for the work of the Lord. We want to do be excellent in caring for orphans and widows and birth mothers and vulnerable children. But ultimately, 
we want to make the glory of the gospel of Christ known. And we want to do that cross-culturally. And we want to see the nations come to see the glory of Jesus Christ. I think there's really no better platform than orphan care, adoption, and caring for these women and, and helping this gospel go forth. Because, uh, right, if, if, if believers, is, what are we united for? We're united that this gospel of this kingdom will be preached to all nations, that every tribe, that every tongue, and that every nation will be preached to. And maybe one day God will, in his great sovereignty, allow one of these kids that we are investing our lives in, in Africa, or investing our lives in in Southeast Asia, maybe God in his providence will allow one of those children to be the one that goes into the bush, that goes into the jungle, that goes into the far off places and preaches the gospel to that last tribe, that last tongue, that last nation that needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is our call. That's our great commission. And so we use caring for orphans. We think about caring for orphans in the way of going We want them to know the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want the nations to know the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I'm just, I'm thrilled to be able to do this because it sent me to nations. It sent me to people groups. It's given me opportunities to speak of the grandeur and the glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, And that's our aim. And so I would just encourage your listeners as we think about how do we care for orphans, let's think higher than just how do we meet a simple need, but how do we equip them to take the glorious gospel that we celebrate to the nations? Because that that is our aim, and that's how we work together in seeing the Great Commission fulfilled as we care for orphans. Yeah, and that right there is a great place to finish. I, I think that you guys are living it out. I love the way you work, uh, collaborate with so many others around the world. I love working with you. I know that uh, it's it's something I look forward to doing for many, many more years to come. So thanks, Herbie, for, for sharing your wisdom with us today, and I know we're all better for it. Well, thank you, Phil. Appreciate all you do and uh, praying for you guys uh, on a consistent basis. Well, I just uh, I'm glad that uh, you all out there were able to get to know my great friend uh, a little bit today as well. Um, Karen, what what did you learn from Herbie? I learned a ton, to be quite honest, and I'm also a little bit geeked out that we had kind of a, a true like adoption, foster care, orphan care guy on uh, the show. Uh, for this show. So one of the things that I really appreciated hearing from him, especially from such a prominent leader in the community related to orphan care and um, just with Lifeline being such such a prominent and respected organization of really hearing him name some things, hearing him talk about the mistakes that um, many, many of us have made, um, especially related to international adoption and even going so far as to, to naming this kind of phrase that he used of this nationalistic sin mm. um, of over-identifying as, as saviors, over-identifying as, um, you know, families who are more concerned about adding a child to their home than providing a home for a child. So I appreciated the the even openness and authenticity with which he was talking about the importance of really kind of sifting through what are we doing right, which is awesome. And they're doing some amazing things. Awesome. But what are some areas that we haven't done so well? I don't mean just with lifeline, but in general, Mm -hmm. all of us that are working in this um, area and field. Yeah, absolutely. No. And I, and I think that, uh, he, he talked about so many different things, uh, in that, in that interview, he talked about birth mothers, he talked about, uh, international adoption, like you said, the the uh, 
the idea of us really having that savior complex. And, and I loved how I'd ask him a question and, uh, he'd go, well, before I answer that, you know, let me just take a step back and say, you know, we got to apologize for this, or we got to understand this, or we got to know this. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I, you know, I really appreciate about Herbie as, you know, as I've gotten to know him, he's just very thoughtful, a great leader. Um, he actually has a podcast that, that he does with Lifeline. It's called the Defender Podcast. Um, and he, he's just sharing his thoughts. And they have some good interviews on there as well. But, but uh, it's, it's something that you get more of what you heard in this interview. But I want to just hear from you, you, Karen. I mean, he talked a lot about, you know, the slowdown of international adoption and the messiness and the beauty of adoption. And, mm-hmm. you know, being one who has adopted internationally, you know, what did you think about what he had talked about there? Yeah, again, I I really appreciated the candidness with which he replied. And I I think that he was super honest in saying that, you know, a lot of organizations, agencies, whatever you want to call it, have placed kids in families that weren't just ready and the families weren't ready. And if you guys listen to the podcast for the past year, you've heard me say over and over again in my clinical work in working with families, I see this so often. I see this so, so often where um, there is this overarching sense that the United States, that just getting this child into the United States is gonna fix this problem. And so in that, you heard Herbie talking about, all right, we've gotta get this done fast, we've gotta get it done smooth. And in that, you're seeing families, or we have seen families, and I'm sure it's still happening, who are cutting corners and accepting bribes and giving bribes. and um, the, the focus is more on let's get this over fast rather than let's make sure that our hearts and minds as prospective parents are prepared. Let's make sure that if we have current children living in the home, that they're prepared. Let's make sure that we understand literally across the board, parenting a child who comes from hard places is absolutely a hundred percent different from parenting a child that doesn't have a history of trauma, abuse, and neglect. And so really just listening to that and hearing someone in such a prominent place related to adoption and international adoption and other areas that Lifeline works through of saying, yeah, I think that we've seen the slowdown for a number of reasons. I think we've seen an increase in disruptions and dissolutions. I think that personally for me, um, most often dissolutions occur. And for those of you guys that may not know the difference in that disruption is the term that's used when a family attempts or plans on adopting a child, but then they end that adoption before it becomes legally finalized. And the term dissolution is the term that is used when a family has legally adopted a child, but then ends that family relationship. And that, that child is then placed into another home. And you heard Herbie saying that we're seeing this, these rates are in increasing. And I can tell you from a clinical perspective that I I think if I can humbly say that, I think this is happening so much because families are entering into this in a very unprepared way. Yeah. Wow. And there's a whole whole lot more where that came from. Um, of course we don't have time to get into it today. I'm more and more convinced that we just need to do another interview with you, Karen, and, and talk about some of these issues. Um, I know we get to talk about them here and there, but uh, I really think we'll, we'll we'll probably do that this season sometime. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. If we don't, I bet we yeah. Can do don't hold me to it out there, audience. If we forget, you know. But if we forget and you really want that, which I think you will, remind us, please, so we don't forget to do that. Um, but right now we're gonna we're gonna just segue into Dr. Karen and 
fill recommend section. Uh, some of you out there I know are waiting in bated breath for these recommendations every week. Um, and for the rest of you, 99.9% of you out there, um, you probably already stopped listening, so it doesn't matter. So, um, <laughs> no, I, I, I like doing this. So I hope you guys are getting something from this as well. Um, but the, the ones that we have today are a little, little different than normal. Usually we have some pretty serious things that are, that are um, very, very important topics. And I, I really actually believe that these ones, they're not the most serious things in the world, but they have some great lessons from them. And, and the, the two... Uh, um, well, actually, the first one especially. It's called Jumanji, Back to the Jungle. And I would never have thought that that, that sentence or that that kind of paragraph would have come out of my mouth that Jumanji, Back to the Jungle, had some important lessons. But not only was it really, really funny, and I would, literally took my whole family to it. There, There's a couple, just a little warning. Um, there's a couple parts of it that my, you know, I was a little concerned that my six-year-old and my nine-year-old and 12-year-old were in the, uh, in the seats with me. But, uh, you know, they were things that weren't, there's a whole lot worse going on out there that, 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 that there was some just off-color humor. Um, so just a little, little caveat, but it was extremely funny and it really taught the importance of collaboration. It taught the importance that we have different skill sets. We have different things to offer this world. And if we don't work together with others, we can't make uh, true flourishing happen. It was done in a way that I was not expecting going into that movie. Um, but coming out of it, I was like, this is a phenomenal movie about collaboration, which is what we're all about on this show. Um, so I, I, I strongly recommend Jumanji, which again, I would not, uh, in Back to the Jungle, the, the, the second one just came out, uh, would not expecting that I was going to say that, but I, I just did and I, I stick to it. So, um, the other movie, which was just very enjoyable, I thought it was, it was done very well. And I, I really like, uh, the actress in the movie. She's a, she's a phenomenal actress. It's called Molly's Game and it's, uh, Jessica Chastain. Um, is the one who does that. It's about Molly Bloom, true story. Um, it's just a very, very good movie. Uh, it's in theaters now. So strongly recommend those uh, two. I don't think you'll be disappointed uh, if you watch them. So without more today, uh, I just I just really want to encourage you all out there to continue engaging these topics, continue doing uh, what you're doing, continue uh, hopefully having the passion like we heard that Herbie had today um, for these issues and uh, just continue learning about how you can be better. Continue with a humble posture. And I pray and hope that you continue listening and engaging with us here on the podcast so that you can really, really know how you can uh, love and care for orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan. Think Orphan.